Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, everyone. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to our class. Don't miss this class where we're going to walk you through the scriptures, point out things we think you don't want to miss. We're in Revelation 6 through 14 today, uh, part two of three of the book of Revelation, very last book of the New Testament. We'll catch you up on the beginning of Revelation in case you missed last week, but you you might you might want to go back and watch last week. I don't know. Because it's so good. Yeah, the whole book of Revelation is really good. And we're and really speed. Yeah, and it builds. It builds. And we're, and we're flying through it, really. It's yeah. a book you could de- dig deep into and find a lot of, you know. I've been going back and watching our, I forgot, by the way, to link in our newsletter, the, our class that Emily and I did on the book of Revelation, which if you love the book of Revelation, you're going to really love that class. So um, I'll put the link that I forgot, or you can go to our website and see it. But um, it's such a cool book. And it's cool if you skim it. It's cool if you dig deep. It just depends on what kind of time. You have for it. it might not be the season of life for a dig deep in. Um, you guys, in a couple of weeks since the Book of Mormon, you know that we've been saying that. And finally, my promise is coming to pass. If you were with us Old Testament year when we had a timeline that you could print out and use. And last year or this year, <laughs> the year we're in, we have, why am I out of breath? <laughs> this year we have this Names of Christ poster that, that we had as our um, freebie. We have this gift we made we've been working on it for weeks and weeks and weeks it's us so and our designer good. this is going to be a timeline of the book of mormon but not a traditional timeline it is a mercies of the lord timeline meaning we are going to track um god's workings through the story and the sermons of the book of mormon so every single week there's going to be something from that particular week a highlight of what is god doing in their story right now or what is God teaching them in their story right now? It's going to be a big focus of our near of our year next year. <laughs> our year next year is that theme that Nephi gives us and Moroni at the end, the mercies of the Lord in this book. The Book of Mormon is best read if God is the main character. So is your story and mine. If God is the main character in our story, we read our stories and see our stories very, very differently. And we want to train our minds and hearts to do that, to look for him in our everyday life. It increases our gratitude. It increases our worship. It increases our connection and relationship to him. So this is such a powerful practice and we're going to do it through the book. And we made this. So if you're a podcaster, you're not seeing it. It's this big, I don't even know how big I would call this. Like thing. poster two, board. Yeah, poster poster board. board. Yeah. Two by three size, two feet by three feet, I think size. And you're going to see all the boxes this is how this will print out. There's two pieces to the printout, and you will get them in the newsletter. They're going to come in the newsletter. If you need to sign up for the newsletter, go to our website, don'tmissthisstudy.com, and you can sign up for the newsletter, and this will come, this printout. This one you're going to print big, black and white. All the instructions are in it, and it's going to each week. It's the weeks, the dates, and then the chapters that you're reading as you go through. And then the other thing you're going to print out are these pieces that you're going to put on each week as you track what God is teaching and doing through the whole story of the Book of Mormon. Now, what's super cool about it is that they're also going to remind you of the storyline. So this first one is of the plates, the second one of leaving Jerusalem, then the tree of life, 
than the Sermon on the Birth of Jesus, the Liahona. Um, it's it's going to remind you of the story, but particularly the part that God plays in the story. We, this is going to be super, super rad. Can I show you what the finished product looks like? If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. Look at that. And the art on it is just um, custom art. So it's we, com- we commissioned it's so this beautiful. art to be these watercolored pictures that we're going to remind you of the storyline, but particularly God's part in the storyline, which is really, really cool. So this you can download starting now. Go get it for free. You get it printed up. Print this in black and white, the big guy. It'll be way cheaper to print in black and white. And then these you want to print in color, maybe on cardstock or some other nicer paper, or you might want to laminate them. All those suggestions are on the instruction page that we give you. And each week we'll be focusing on that particular tender mercy. And we will, as we teach, teach that tender mercy in a way that that you might turn that into your like one night study or maybe your Sunday after church study. Like, let's look for this particular tender mercy of God this week. Or let's talk about that as a family, like that particular tender mercy. So we got 52 lessons for you, many lessons on the tender mercies of, of the Lord. And then you can send your kids to look for them, or you can be looking for that throughout the week. It's just well, going to be... And it's so cute because then every time you look at the timeline, not only are you reminded of the Book of Mormon story, but I think it also will just attach to memories that you made that week, which is cool. Because yeah. it's a little timeline of your year. Yes. Um, the journal will match up with this because the journal this year is going to have similar things, as you know, but then it's going to have a spot each week where you will write down, these are the tender mercies I saw in the scriptures this week. And these are the ones I saw in my own story this week. So that it can be a, a, a focus throughout the week. So it'd be cool. I think when you sat down as a family to like pull out your journal, write down what you saw in the scriptures. Way cool. Um, then what I saw in my own story is as part of that. And that's just one section, of course, everything else, the study questions and all the cool stuff that's in um, the book Mormon as you go through it. All the other, this one, our website, is where you're going to get this one from the newsletter. This is for free to download, and then you'll print that out. Um, all the other stuff, remember, you can find at Desiree Book to get yourself all ready. The journal, the posters, of course, which we love the posters in our family. Is like this is our Sunday study, and it's our reminder that hangs in our home to remind us of the theme of that week. Well, something I forgot something was cool in those posters as I was getting it out. Getting it ready for next year at my house. We put scripture, because it's got a word for the week, a yeah. scripture. As the definition at the time of Joseph Smith's translation. So it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of maybe what he had on his mind for that word. You know, with a lot of different words in there. And then a reference to another spot in scripture where that's used. So it kind of becomes, the posters become a mini study. Which is cool. So that will turn your house into a reminder of the Book of Mormon. And then the tippins will turn your books. Remember the tippins this year? So good. They turn your book into a study Book of Mormon. I want to get all my kids... I was going to say, don't listen, but I don't know if they're listening. <laughs> um, little paperback copies of the Book of Mormon. We have yes. an idea about that. We're going to talk about maybe the first week okay, yeah, of the like... Book of Mormon year. Um, paperback copies of the Book of Mormon, creating cool covers for them and stuff like that. Don't worry. Don't get too excited. We have Revelation today with a dragon. <laughs> um, and then the tippins that will go into so that book cool. that will just turn it into like this really rad study book. And y'all, if you haven't seen this yet... I know we introduced these on a previous video, but maybe you haven't seen them. This Read It, Live It is new this year, and it is super rad edition. It's all of your reading for the whole Book of Mormon broken up by day. 
So you put this out on the kitchen counter. You put this out um, in each of the rooms of, of your kids or your bedroom or something. And it's January 13th. My reading is 1 Nephi 4, 21 to 38. And I know that's my reading for the day. And here's my little thing to think about. Uh, today, I'm going to speak words that will encourage someone today. A little read it, live it for every single day. I don't think we showcase enough how rad this that's is. That's my so, favorite thing. I'm so excited for yeah. that. Yeah. So we're thing. just trying to help you really capture and live out your love of the Book of Mormon and those hopefully super practical things. And this is going to be awesome for classrooms too, for primaries, maybe a primary teacher so cool. or like a primary president that gets yeah. this one. You guys, let's talk about how God gives us friends as a tender mercy. That's one of the things that he does. Let's talk about how um, how God um, has given us temples, right? When we get into the Isaiah chapter. So this is going to be super cool. So we've been so excited for you to get your hands on that. And now it is ready so you can get um, all ready to go. And all the instructions are included in there. So you don't even, I don't even have to explain any more about that. Sound good, you guys? So that's going to be for next year. Just getting you all pumped and ready. Okay. What? Now? now, if you don't have an elevated heart rate, here we go. Like, <laughs> you already lost your breath. I lost my breath already. So. Take your vitamins because this is this is big. We're calling today the Valley of Decision. This is going to come up in our lesson today in a chapter that we'll show you. But if you missed yesterday, the book of Revelation, or last week's, I mean, the book of Revelation is one of the big themes of the book of Revelation is cosmic dualism. Opposites. Good versus evil. You see that for everything God does, Satan creates a counterfeit version of it. And you're going to see these opposites throughout the whole book. And they sort of simplify things down to you have a decision. Are you going to stand with God and the power and grace and goodness? Or are you going to stand with the devil and and? entrapment and slavery like they, it just sets up a decision for you throughout the whole book it's a battle the whole thing's a battle and what i love about it is it's the close of the bible and i love that the close of the bible is actually an invitation to live the story you know yeah say what you mean by that that's like, cool that all of a sudden it's like okay you just watched this entire story play out and john ends the bible and says listen you get to decide what your story looks ah, like. ah okay you know this story's done What's yours? It's time for you to pick up. Yeah. Where are you going to Where are you gonna go? From right, here? right. Which is cool. It's like, all of a sudden, you read it, now live it. Yeah. John almost writes as a, a voice from the dust, right? And says, I, I lived out my battle. Yeah. And I won. I'm going to show you how. And I'm going to encourage you and say, it's your turn. Which, after a story, after a book with as many stories in it, like, as cool of stories are in the book, like, you go through beating giants and walking on water and like you list all these stories how powerful that john's like listen you get a chance yeah same battle new battlefield same god new soldiers same, new soldiers here's the torch it's your turn so what cool. this is kind of goes into okay let's jump in last time we were in the throne room which is this it, it, uh john starts almost the story Remember where he was just like, first, a vision of Jesus, then some advice and counsel and promise to the different individual churches, then a picture of God's end game. 
in the throne room, praising, worshiping, exalted, washed clean. The earth has been made new. We've been back, we're back into the Garden of Eden. Remember, Genesis is Adam and Eve leave the Garden of Eden. Book of Revelation is we've made it back in, right? Through the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb is the victor, the hero that we look to. It was just this awesome scene. And in the throne room, there was a scroll. The King, God the Father, was holding a scroll. And it was sealed up. And nobody could open it. And remember, the, the scroll signifies as a symbol of the work of God, the plans and purposes of God. And the question is, how, how, who's going to bring them about? And the Lamb says, I will. And now, as we get into this chapter, the next chapter right after Revelation 6, it's the opening of that scroll. So that's kind of where we are. So if you're watching on YouTube, get ready. you're going to love this. <laughs> and if you're, you're not, about to get really smart, everyone. You might want to, you know, if you want to get really smart, you might want to go jump on that. Or remember, all these PDFs are always in the app that you can have. So you can screenshot it or you can go get it easy in the app. The scroll has seven seals. Here's a little hint. In Doctrine and Covenant 77.7, and if you've been paying attention to what numbers mean, this is kind of a fun guy. That's a lucky one. Um, this is a Q&A section with Joseph Smith, and someone asks him, what do the seals mean? And he says, each of them represent a thousand years of history. So when we look at the seven seals, the first thousand, second thousand, you have a spot in your journal to write down some of these notes that will teach you about each of these seals. They're thousand-year time periods. And you're sort of getting a glimpse of the kind of major events, the theme, the, 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 the stories that rise to the top of that particular thousand years. And it's cool because it's almost like within this chapter and the rest of Revelation, you get like a watch the whole story of the world on like fast forward. Yeah. Like it's like here, let me just show you the highlights, the peaks, all of that. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Okay, so in the book of Revelation, they start to, in chapter 6, they start to open up that scroll. Sorry, you guys, I'm just getting to my spot in the scriptures. So in 6, they start to open up each of the, the seals of them. And you see that they will open up that seal in verse 1. And you'll see a white horse, and, he, and the person on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Okay, so that's from 4,000 to 3,000 B.C. is kind of the time period that you might assign to that seal. Um, some of the major characters, Adam and Eve and Enoch. What, the white horse and the crown symbolize um, victory. And there's also an idea with a bow that this is a time of um, uh, battle and um, warfare. Too. Even with that word conquering at the end of verse 2. Right. Like when you think of conquer, that's the word you think of. Yeah. yeah. So you have two different kinds. You have like brother against brother, kind of like battle, like with Cain and Abel. But you also have Enoch conquering the natural man and ascending into heaven. So you have, all, you know, some of these things that you will see in there. Um, these four horses are the first four seals. And you may have heard of these before, the four horsemen of the apocalypse or, or something, or you've seen on a movie. I don't know. But there's these four horses. Remember, four is the symbol for earth. So the four corners of the earth, sometimes we say. So it's almost as if to say these things are um, reflective of that particular seal, but they're also reflective of the whole earth and every time period. You're just going to keep seeing some of these same things repeat over and over. Our battle is not much different today than it was in the second seal. Like these happen all over and during all time periods. 
And then all of a sudden you're going to look at these and you're going to look at the seals and it's going to tell a story. But you can't help when you read to think about your story as well. All of a sudden it invites you in and then you're going to start thinking once you get deeper into the symbolism. All of a sudden it's not just the story big picture, but it's actually your story too. Yeah. Second seal, 3000, 2000 BC. Noah is sort of the figure that we most associate with that time period. The horse is red and red is a symbol of sin and death, blood violence. Remember, that's the reason that the Lord gives for the flooding of the earth is that it was filled with violence. Um, so you see that. Third seal, 2001,000. Joseph of Egypt is sort of a, a figure we know from that area. The horse is black, a symbol of grief and sorrow and mourning. And this seal, when you read it in verse five and six, you see that the, the person on the horse has a pair of balances in their hands and they're, they're measuring out food for money and they don't match up. Like, signifying this is a time of famine and a, and a time of scarcity. And scarcity. Okay. Then you get into the next seal that opens up and you see this horse. That's a pale horse. It's actually this greenish color that the Greek is, and it's impending death. <laughs> so this sense of fear, the sense of like, Ooh, something terrible is about to come. We feel uneasy. We feel queasy, which I think is really interesting that it's not that point yet. But, like, there's that sense of, like, anxiousness. Yeah. And this is when Babylon and Greece and Rome and Persia were taking over each other. You never knew what was going to happen next. You never felt settled in, in your life. And so that's that time period of just the conquering and the reconquering of it. And so these sort of things, you're like, this is, like, the theme of the earth. And then you get into the fifth seal, which is about the year 0 to 1000 AD. And you see in verse 9, when they open the fifth seal, the altar of the souls of them who were slain. It's a, it's a calling out to the martyrs, the Christian martyrs. Of course, um, the Christian martyr Christ himself lives in this time period, a time of being slain. But then there is this, and remember, John keeps bringing this in um, again and again and again, these symbols and signs and sometimes full chapters and visions of hope. You see one in verse 11, and white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet, for a little season. And so you keep seeing that their victory came through death and through their martyrdom, but these symbols of hope that you see. Then you get into the sixth seal. This will be interesting that these each have like two verses, two verses, two, three, two to them. The sixth seal has over 200 verses dedicated to it. This seems to be a book that is particularly written to those living in the sixth seal. So in verse 12, he opens up the sixth seal, which is the year 1000 to 2000-ish. Y'all, people try to do math with all of these, and they try and predict the second coming of the Lord with a calculator, and you um, you just <laughs> might not be able to, okay? But when they opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black, a sackcloth. The moon became as blood. The stars fell from the earth, even as figs coming from when it was shaken with a mighty wind and heaven departed as a scroll and was rolled up in the mountains. So these are signs that we sometimes call the signs of the second coming, signs of the times, um, cosmic signs. Now, could these, remember, this is a book <laughs> that you could read and say, is this a literal description of what is to come? It's not a literal description of what was. There weren't actually horses running through you know, the earth. So will these signs be literal? Will the earth shake? Will the stars fall from their place? Will the sun turn uh, dark? Uh, maybe. 
Maybe and <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you want to think through like why have signs that like that are like that. One of them that comes to mind for me is that there's signs in heaven and in earth. They're everywhere. There'll be things that every single person is going to notice. You won't miss the signs. Some people are thinking like, well, I'm, you know, I, I want to be ready. I want to watch. And it's like, oh, you're going to be okay. You'll be okay. You'll, you'll see them. They will be everywhere. They will affect the entire cosmos is what's going to happen. The second thing, the fact that they originate from heaven is comforting to me because it originates from where God dwells, at least the way, you know, that we traditionally think. And it gives you a sense of the world's not out of control. Like the Doctrine and Covenants says, these perhaps are God's voice. After the voice of my servants, he says, there will be the voice of earthquakes and there will be the voice of thunderings. Whatever it is I can do to capture the attention and the hearts of my children, I'm going to do it. Whatever it is that, that gets me to say, that gets me to that point of, David, you've got a decision to make, is, is what the purpose of those signs are. Well, and right when you even said that, I immediately thought, oh, I want to make sure I know God like that, so that I know when I'm stressed and things feel out of control, I actually know the character of God well enough to know that I'm okay. Yes. Because he is good. Yes. You know? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. The thing that's interesting about this is this. At any time period that a person lives, they're going to come face to face with things that are going to, you know, bring them to that moment of decision, right? Things that will capture their attention and bring them to a spot where they say, okay, what am I going, who am I going to choose? How am I going to make it through? And, and, and what am I going to do? to protect myself and, and my family, to make sure that we stay safe, no matter what time period you live in, whether you lived in the fourth seal or whether you live in the, a week before the second coming, the signs had the same purpose. And the purpose is make a decision, turn to me, find places of safety, do your work to help others come along. Right? Whenever you live, the opportunities are the same. Well, and even it, like when you see this, yeah, I did not live in 4000 BC, but you start going through and saying, okay, what about the conquering? Like, am I going to make it through conquering and through sin and death and violence and grief and sorrow and mourning? And am I going to live through the anxiety and living on the edge and like making yourself sick because you're so worried? Am I going to live through things that are going to make me have to really stand in my beliefs? Am I going to live through like, am I going to? What's going to happen? Am it's, I good enough for that? Like, it's funny that you read all of those things as if they're things from the past, but I, you you described yeah. the world that we live in, and that's the it's that's, your story. Right. It's the same story repeated again and again and again. And you asked that question. Now go to that last verse. It's the same one that John asked. So what happens at the end of chapter 6, verse 17, is all of a sudden he says, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? You got the stars falling, you got the earth shaking, you got the mountains crumbling, and it leads everybody to ask that same question, right? It feels like this world is in chaos. It does not feel like God is in charge. Who's gonna make it? And not even just make it, but be able to stand up in it. Right. You know, like I like I'm gonna be on my I'm gonna be on my knees. I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> He's like, who's gonna be able to stand? Who's right. gonna be there? Right. How are you gonna get through a life like this? So you might want to highlight verse 17, that question at the end of verse 6. That's the question. 
Then if you go into Revelation 7, at the very top of Revelation 7, you might want to write in your scriptures the answer. So the question of who's going to be able to stand and make it through all of this kind of stuff, the kind of stuff we do to ourselves, sometimes I think this is worth actually mentioning that you're going to see throughout these chapters signs of the time that trouble the earth, war, death, those kind of things, judgments that are poured out. And something we have to remember is one of the ways to read the judgments of the Lord are as natural consequences for our own sinful nature. They just are judgments of of God often in scripture means he's going to let the natural consequences of sin play out for a purpose. There is this footnote that comes from the ESV in the book of Acts. That's what I remember, a study Bible, the ESV. (laughs) Okay, that's as far as I can remember right now for now, y'all. But it said this, the purposes of the judgments of God were never destruction. They were always restoration. So anything that he's doing or allowing eventually has an end purpose of restoration, to restore. So we'll get into more of that in just a second. I just kind of went off on a small tangent, but... Seven is the answer to the question, who shall be able to stand? Before we open the seventh seal, which is the seal of the finality, the completion, wrapping everything up, the complete destruction of the adversary and all of evil, the restoration of a new heaven and earth. That's all seventh seal. It hasn't quite opened yet. (laughs) Before we get to that, the question is, who shall be able to stand? Who's not going to fall throughout all of this? And here's the answer. (laughs) who is it okay revelation 7 there's some symbols in here that you probably have heard and been familiar with so it starts at the very beginning after these things i saw four angels verse one standing in the four corners of the earth ready with their four winds to go and and just the final harvest these are the angels of the final harvest and there is a stop to them in verse two before you go out he says hurt not the earth neither the sea nor the trees, until, verse 3, we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So the answer to the question is those who will be able to stand are those who have been sealed in the forehead with this great seal that these angels have. Now a seal, we saw a seal on the scroll, similar idea. A seal is that, think of a king's ring, that this is officially mine. It's the seal of the kingdom. It's marked as it's claimed, it's, it's that idea of, of, you know, this belongs to the king, this is an official, um, uh, what it, fill in the blank, of the king, yeah. right? And that's what's going to be sealed. They're going to be sealed in their foreheads. Now, we have up here a couple different cross-references that we think y'all will be interested in as you study this. This is a great word to study throughout the scripture, this, to be sealed. I know if you're a Latter-day Saint, Um, the sealing, the idea of sealing, like a marriage sealing comes to mind when you hear that word, but you want to think a little bit bigger from that. Symbolically, like he's putting his name, his seal into somebody's forehead. And you want to like think through the use of that word. Should we look at some of these or maybe people want to just study them? Um, But let's maybe let's jump into some of those real quick. So what book do you have? I only have the New Testament. Oh, good. You do Ephesians. I'm going to go to a Book of Mormon verse, which is in Mosiah. And just let's just look at this. And this is just a, a, just a 
sampling of some of the verses that are out there about this idea of stealing. While you're turning to Ephesians, I'll read Mosiah 5, uh, 15, which says this. Therefore, I would that you should be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, that Christ, the Lord God omnipotent, may seal you his, that you may be brought to heaven, that you may have everlasting salvation and eternal life through the wisdom, power, justice, and mercy of him who created all things. Okay, so, and then here's Ephesians 1.13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, I'm going to skip down to this Doctrine and Covenants, verse 109.22. This is the um, dedication prayer of the Kirtman Temple. And the Lord says this as part of that dedicatory prayer. And we ask thee, Holy Father, that thy servants may go forth from this house, armed with thy power, and that thy name may be upon them, and thy glory be round about them, and thine angels have charge over them. So that dedicatory prayer, which, by the way, the Doctrine and Covenants borrows a lot of language from what we call apocalyptic literature. Book of Revelation Daniel, Ezekiel, there's a couple books that we call apocalyptic that are um, leaning into these last days. And the Doctrine and Covenants borrows a lot of that language. And it's connecting the idea of being sealed in the forehead to the the temple, to covenant is what it's being connected to, Um, to having your name, his name put upon you. That's the idea of being sealed claimed, power, protected. That's sort of the imagery and the who shall be able to stand on my own? No one. But those who are under the protective care, promise, and power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, and there's something so interesting to me about that connection that automatically, like the mark on your forehead, symbolically, like automatically makes you his. Like, people are like, oh, I know when I see you, like, I know who you belong to. I know whose you are. And, like, it's so funny because growing up, we, on our, like, front door, right above our front door, we had this, like, little quote, like, vinyl letter quote, you know? And um, it says, like, it said, um, be true to who you are and the family name you bear. And it's so interesting because this is talking about being sealed with a mark on your forehead, but... Like, to me and my family, I'm, like, sealed to my parents because of my last name. My name attaches me automatically to my family, Mm -hmm. right? People know who I am because of my last name. If you say Freeman, oh, Greg and Emily's kid. I got it. And it's so interesting to me that there's such a deep connection to our actions and whose we are. Mm -hmm. That I always, when I would leave the house, not always, but, like, when I would think about it, which is probably why I was above the front door, I would always think, like, okay, like, what would a Freeman do? Because I know that my dad, if someone was like, their car broke down on the side of the road, I know my dad would stop. And I know that if someone asked my mom a question about Jesus, she would stay up all night to help them figure it out. Mm-hmm. That's like, that is what it means to be theirs. That's what it means to be a Freeman to me. That's how, if I'm marked with the last name Freeman, I want to show up like that. And it makes me think if I am marked by him on my forehead, if I am sealed his, who do I want to be and what do I act like and what do I say and what do I do that will be like him? 
It's interesting because to take upon a name is to take upon a privilege and a responsibility. And that's what we talk about when we talk about covenants is that I've taken upon me a name and the privilege and the promise that come with that. But I also have taken upon me a responsibility as as well. And we'll see a little bit more of that in just a, in just a minute. Um, that's going to play out a little bit more the responsibility side of it when we get into the book of uh, when we get into like chapters 10 and 11. Yeah. But th- those two things are really cool that you're teaching about that. And and this and this chapter right here, remember, is who's going to make it. And, the, and it's like those who are marked, or in other words, those who've taken upon themselves the name. Or in other words, those who are, who have received the protective power, grace, and promise of the Father and the Son. And, and the grandest and holiest and fullest way to do that is through covenant relationship. That's what we're learning as we like progress through some of these verses. And you can live differently knowing that you're his. That's what it means to be in a covenant relationship is that that's actually a thrill. That gives me a deep sense of confidence that I actually can live different because I know, oh, I might mess up, but I'm still his. Yes. I might do things wrong. I'm still his. Mm-hmm. I can do, I can live differently because I know that he has sealed me. His. Yeah. And it's interesting you talked about earlier remembering his character. That when I say I am his, there's a lot behind that word. Yeah. Whose are you? And it's like, Let me tell you what he's like because that matters. The person who claims you matters. Now, we're going to jump a little bit ahead because in the book of Revelation 13, there's an opposite to that sealing in the forehead that happens in this chapter, Revelation 7, and that's the mark of the beast is something that happens in Revelation chapter 13 and 16 through 18. Do you have that? Do you want to read those? Yep. It says, and he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bound, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And then it goes down further and it explains for... Um, the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and 6. 666, six, six. Yeah. yeah, which you may have heard before. And that number 6 to um, ancient people would have been, remember, 7 is full and complete and perfected, and 6 is um, incomplete, but also is associated with evil and, and almost counterfeit. It's really close, but it's like it's not. And so you get that either the seal of the living God or the mark of the beast. And when it talks about the forehead and the hand together, those were actually the spots that slaves were marked. And so there would have been this sense of, as we read this, to understand that when he claims you, he claims you as a slave. When God claims you, he claims you as an heir. Well, and you even see it in the verse. If you go back to verse 16 in chapter 13, he causeth all. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's like a, that makes you think. Slavery, yeah. Right. He caused you to be marked. Right. That's right. like, a, almost like in, like power. Now this word right, this scripture right here in Deuteronomy chapter six, this is what ancient, they, they would have thought about, especially when we start talking about foreheads and arms and all of those things. In Deuteronomy chapter six, there in the Old Testament, you remember, may remember this from um, last year, that there was a scripture and it was Deuteronomy six, four through nine. It's called the Shema. And it was, it says this, um, it's pulling up, sorry. And it says, and four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, 
And you will teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you'll bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. That's on the forehead. And you will write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And if you have someone who is a practicing Jew today or go over to Israel somewhere, people literally wear these tefillin phylacteries where they remember they tie that particular verse to their forehead, put it in a little box and tie it. And they tie it to their arm in a little box and wrap it up as a literal sign that they are um, committed to with their mind and their actions and their heart to love the Lord their God and to live out that love. That's, that's the reason behind it. They would have seen that connection because they were doing this at the time. And they were like, oh, I get it. This is a, this is a question of right here. The decision is who owns your thoughts, who owns your intentions, and who owns your heart? Because that's what those, those like the forehead and the arm, like that's what they symbolize to them. So do you see how you keep seeing this decision all throughout it? You, who, who am I going to, who's my allegiance belong to? And, and right here. Now, remember the question was, who shall be able to stand? And it's those marked by the seal of the living God. And in the story, you see back in Revelation chapter 7, they begin to mark in verse 4. They tell you how many. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And then it's going to go through each of the tribe and talk about 12,000 that are sealed in each of the individual tribes. Now, remember numbers. So 144,000. This is 12 times 12. 12, remember, is the number of priesthood. And we don't mean priesthood holders here. We mean priesthood power and promise here. Recipients of priesthood covenants here. Um, so 12, and whenever you multiply a 12, it means a fullness of that. So a fullness of priesthood promise and power is 144. And anytime you multiply something by 1,000, it puts exclamation points next to it is what it does. So, <laughs> That's the best symbol yes. ever. So you and I might hear 144,000 and want to count that. Ancient people would have heard 144,000 and thought to themselves, oh my gosh, a, a giant group of people who have a fullness of priesthood, privilege, promise, and power. Now, what's cool is what happens right after that. Do you want to take that? Yes. Um, all of a sudden he sees all those people and then immediately after in verse nine, chapter seven, verse nine, after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude bigger than you could even count. That's what he sees. And no man could number of all nations, kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And you cannot help but like right when you see that. What a celebration. Yes, you know? the palms. The yes, Hosanna, it's so cute right? that everyone is just like, you can't help but cheer. And I love that he says, you actually can't And they do, it. they do in 10. Yes, right? yes, they and cheer. it goes even bigger and bigger in 10 and cried with a loud voice, salvation to our God. Um, They worshiped God in verse 11. And then in verse 12, this part is so tender to me, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And 
It goes down, and the part in 14 that just, like, wins my heart. And pause for a second. Let me just yeah. bring this in. When you see lists like this, count them. Because blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might is seven. Oh, cool. So you're seeing a, a fullness of all it's of done. those things. And I almost want to say, perhaps that is a list, a partial list of what priesthood, privilege, power, and promise look like. Powerful. Right? Cool. They look. It looks like blessing and glory. It looks like wisdom. It looks like thanksgiving. It looks like honor, power, and might. Because we, we worship a God who shares in his glory he exalts others as part of like his character and nature and intention which is so cool because it almost makes you want to go through and be like i actually don't know what the role of that is in my life and then if you go through and look at those okay well where are my blessings Mm -hmm. and where have i seen god give me might and when have i like gotten wisdom and what what are like am i giving thanksgiving for yeah because that is all connected to that you know, right. which is so cool. And it's interesting that if he has given me some, it means he's the source. And that's what they're yes. praising. You're the source of all blessing. You're the source of all wisdom. You're the source of all thanksgiving. I've experienced a portion of it, and it thrilled my heart. Imagine what it might be to experience a fullness. Which is even more interesting that that's their celebration. Because in verse 14, you see who they are. And it starts out, and this is how we're introduced to these people. These are they which came out of great tribulation. Mm. Don't you forget that. That the people that were praising him for blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might were actually the ones that came out of great tribulation. They weren't prevented from it. No. They weren't spared. They They came through through it. They made it. They stood through it. And even more powerfully, he's going to tell you how. Because sometimes when you're in deep tribulation, you cannot imagine the end of your story turning in to what theirs did with celebration and worship. But he gives you the secret. And have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The story gets to end on a happy note because of the Lamb. Yeah. That is that is the story. That's why they can celebrate. That's why they can experience blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving is actually because of him. That's how they could stand in tribulation is because of him. Yes. Because he actually, the cross and the tomb and the garden actually gave you power to stand through your tribulation. It's making me want to connect even this to the the story of the Passover because he brings up through that blood of the lamb that they were marked, you know, in his name but also marked by the blood of the lamb and destruction passed over and they, they were left standing. They were left delivered because of that. You see, you, you can't help, but see some of those themes there. That question that they ask in 13, I love that part in 13 where he says, he sees that big crowd of people praising and he says, what are these which are away arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? How, how, and then he goes, sir, you know, in 14, because I, I almost want to say to myself, like, do I belong in a group like that? And it says, sir, you know, it's these are the, how did you like, how did they get there? How did how did that happen? How did what did they do? And it's like, oh, you know, yeah, these are they who were washed white. And every time that symbol comes up in scripture, I wrote this in my margin that this makes no sense. Their robes were washed in blood and made white. And then I wrote my margins. It is a wonder. It's amazing. Be nervous if you ever cease to be amazed by grace. This is the beauty of the miracle of Jesus' atonement. 
that it's meant to like huh, be shocking. That symbol of they washed in blood and they came out white is meant to be like, that's impossible. And it's like, that's actually what he's best at. So if you feel like one who does not belong and your answer is that's impossible, highlight verse 14, because he does the impossible. He takes, he takes what, whatever it is that you are, marks you, exalts you to a fullness of, of, of glory and honor and power and, and wisdom. And it's just, um, it's cool to think about his grace should shock you. What he's able to do should make you like, wow, like uh, like that would be if you watched someone wash a robe in blood and then what well, it came out sparkly white. You'd be like magic. Yeah, <laughs> is the only explanation for it. Well, and how thrilling to me the contrast in these two chapters that you start with the seals and all of a sudden it's like okay yeah, death and destruction and anxiety and hurt and people hurting other people. And you can go through and list those seals. And I love that it ends on such a, like, impossible to believe note. Mm-hmm. You're like, and if you're in the middle, you're like, there's no way. There's no way that he could wrap this up in the end. And mm-hmm. he does, and even more tender than you could ever imagine, in verse 16. They shall hunger no more. The scarcity will be gone. Mm-hmm. Neither thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. You will be protected. You will be in a safe place for the lamb, which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them. If you're feeding someone, you are not far away, mm-hmm. which I think is important to remember. And, shall and if lead you're them, feeding someone, it's at your cost, mm-hmm. right? You're, yeah. you're being nourished by my, by, by my good I paid for that. Yeah. I paid for that. And shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. Don't you like that? We'll get this in the last chapters, but in case I forget, fountains are like continually running. Mm, you're never going to run out. Yeah. Yeah. They just keep, they keep going. It's that a scarcity mindset yeah. that you lived in for so long. It's a continuous flow. Right? I'll show you something different. Mm-hmm. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is the first of two times this promise comes in this book and just, uh, yeah. um, I, highlight all of them. Like, yeah. I just can't even like cut it out, paste it on your wall. I don't like just that, the, the, the vision of that, the thought of that, remember that as you get into these next chapters and you get to the moments in time when you think he's abandoned us. And there's so many symbols of here. If, if he's feeding you, he's not far. If he's wiping tears from your eyes, he's not far. Um, it, it, he's close. He's, he's um, concerned. He's compassionate. He's heartbroken. Like he's in it. And that's important to remember whenever you read some of the scary stuff, the judgments that come, you have to remember where they're coming from and the intention and the hope in the very end of this. Choosing to stand doesn't mean that you're avoiding tribulation. It means you're in the thick of it. And it's worth it because of him. Yeah, you're being held up by him. And then just to be held up, to be fed, to be wiped, you know, tears wiped, that, that intimacy, that closeness, that like, Right? That's just something like, you want to cling on I to. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And you are. That you makes it worth him. standing. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, awesome. <laughs> that seven That's is so that. good. And you're like, oh, oh my gosh, I need a drink of water. Okay. <laughs> now we're going back to those, the idea of like the scrolls being opened up and the seventh seal is going to be opened. And now 
the fullness and the completion and the judgments are going to be poured out. Now, remember what we just said about those judgments, the purpose of them and the intention of them and what they symbolize, right? God just allowing our sins to play out. But there is a time when he will come and he will say, this is, oh, now it's over. I will get rid of evil and um, death and sorrow and sin once and for all. Is what, I mean, it, it's gonna, it has to be cut out. And I was just thinking about this on the, on the drive over there. Out of context, judgments sound horrible. If I said, that man came and he cut a piece of my arm out of me, you would say, he is a villain, <laughs> right? Unless I gave you more context and I said, oh, I forgot to tell you he's a doctor. And the part he cut out of me was cancerous. And then you would understand and say, oh, there's a need for some of these things. There's a need to cut out decay. There's a need to cut out some of this that's going to cause a greater destruction. And so I think that's important to remember who he is and some of those elements as you come to and read some of the scary things that are in here. Okay, now, we want to spend a million years on this and you just can't. So we're going to send you off on your own study. Or again, if you're way interested, go look at that study. We'll, we'll link. But connect these two chapters together, Revelation 8 and Revelation 16. And you're going to watch these judgments play out. One thing that we want you to think about as you study them is the, the bowls in Revelation 16 are equivalents to the trumpets in Revelation 8. Does that mean that they'll happen twice? I don't know. Is John telling the same kind of story through two different sorts of symbolism? I don't know. Maybe. Um, but maybe. It seems, it'll seem familiar. Yeah, it'll seem familiar to you. Um, is he teaching in Revelation 8 that a third only and then eventually a fullness? Because you see a fullness in Revelation 16 and only a third in, in Revelation 8. The, the amount that's being destroyed um, or is it two separate lessons saying it's not going to be everything, but a fullness of the evil will be gone? Does that make sense? When you put them together. A third, by the way, just obviously means a part. There's bounds set. It's not everything. It's not a complete destruction. You're going to go through and you might study. As you study these, we want you to think of two different things and have fun with this as much as you want. The first trumpet in Revelation 8 says it destroys a third of the trees and the grass. Um, could that actually literally happen? Um, yes, perhaps a third, 33% of the trees and the grass on the earth might be destroyed. Uh, possible. Or is it pointing us to a physical, like figurative lesson, which is, oh, perhaps that's a famine. If the crops and the trees are being destroyed, maybe that it's trying to, that's a clever way of saying a famine. But I, I, if John has already showed us that he's interested in our souls and that he's probably teaching a spiritual lesson. And so with each of these, you might think to yourself, oh, is that talking about a spiritual famine? And with each of these, we might think to ourselves, if this is the world I live in of physical famine, what should I do? If this is the world I live in of a spiritual famine, what should I do? So I'm going to just propose right now that some might be waiting for a destruction of the waters. Some might be waiting for a, for a, a plague of locusts to show up. And, and they think to themselves, once they do, I'll, I'll just know. But if it's spiritually, 
And it's talking about a plague of pornography, a plague of addiction, a plague of drug. Perhaps it's happening, and the time to ask the question is now. What should I do if I find myself in a, in a world like this? So that's just some tips as you study this. We wish we could study it all together on this video, but we will not. And you're um, going to have so fun. You're going to feel so smart when you do it. Yeah. You're, and, and I you're love gonna that. And you're going to explore, and you're yeah. going to be creative, and you're going to wonder as you, as you think through. it be cool discussion together as a, a family or a class. One thing, though, I do want to point out is these plagues are really similar to the plagues in Egypt. And so they would have connected those together. That's the only books they had. There was no Netflix. They're like, oh, I know this story. <laughs> like, I'm super familiar with it. I see I see that, you know, the hint you're trying. It's almost like that in, in Star Wars when Darth Vader's music plays. You're like, oh, I know like, what's coming. I know what's happening. Yeah. You know, this, this is a familiar tune. They would have heard that familiar tune and would have said, oh, this is Egypt. To connect it to Egypt means I'm trying to teach you and remind you of the lessons of Egypt. And there were a couple lessons. One of them was that Passover. There's protection being offered in this. Um, he was like separating. The, the land of Goshen was protected and separated. There's that lesson. There's also this lesson, which is the end of all of these is what in the Egypt story? It's freedom. It's deliverance. It's redemption. Um, Exodus 6, 6. You guys, I, I, I boldly said that out loud before. <laughs> looking on my phone to see if that was actually it. You did this before earlier today and you got it. So I did? You're two for two. Yeah, boy. Okay. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I the Lord, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with stretched out arm and with great judgments. I will take you to me for a people. I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear covenant promise to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll give it to you for an inheritance. I am the Lord. That was the lesson of Egypt. It's still the lesson and the promise that we are anticipating at the end of this. There's a Red Sea moment at the end. Of this. And don't read these and forget that. Yes. Don't read these and forget that actually the story promises deliverance. Yeah. That's who he is. And maybe don't forget this either. I read the Egypt story and I think to myself, why didn't you just jump to the 10th plague? Mm. The one that actually worked. Get them out. Yeah. Like, why, why, why do all the frogs and the lice and the hails and, the, and all of that, all of this business? And we need to remember the God who wipes tears is a God who loves Pharaoh as much as he loves Moses. And if it takes 10 tries to win his heart and the hearts of the Egyptians, I'm going to do it. Whatever it takes to win as many. I want a multitude times a multitude of people. That's why I eventually want there. And we need to remember that also. So trumpets, by the way, I don't know if you caught this little thing. They blew trumpets for warnings back in the past as calls to gather and also reasons of celebration. So it's interesting that you can kind of see the end intention. We wish we'd go through that entire list with y'all right now, but... You're going to love it. It's yes, okay. you are going to. Okay, now, in the midst of all of that, we get into this... this you may have saw in your journal this question. What do we learn about Zerubbabel and Joshua? And you're like, what the... He <laughs> said, I can't even pronounce so, it. So, all of that's happening in 8 and 9. 
including a little battle we'll get to. I love that. I just called it a little battle. Yeah, I'm like, It's Armageddon. It's <laughs> a big one. At the end of Revelation 9. Okay, and one of the trumpets, and it's in the bowls. You're going to see it in both places, but we're going to come back to it, I promise. It stops again and does one of these little pauses. And chapter 10 is the story of John and an angel coming to John and handing him this little book. And a book is a symbol of a mission. And he says, I want you to eat this book. And he says, it's sweet and bitter at the same time. And he says, "You, this is your job, John. You're going to play a role in what's about to come. Like all of this is on the background, the bowls and the trumpets. And he says, and John, the work of God uh, and the work of what you're going to see, rebuilding and rededicating restoration, you've got a part to play in this. Enhance him a commission in chapter 10. You can read that story. It's really sweet. Then you get into chapter 11 and you meet these two witnesses that you may have heard of before. And these two witnesses, you remember, are, uh, it says, it calls them, this is your hint, it says, I will give power unto my two witnesses, verse 3, and they shall prophesy 1,203 score days, and that is three and a half years, so everyone knows. Um, these are two olive trees and two candlesticks that stand before the God of the earth. And if you were an ancient person, you would have heard that and you would have said, oh my gosh, I know who they are. I know exactly who you're talking about. Because if you would read Zechariah 4 and Zechariah 3, these two characters, Joshua and Zerubbabel, not Joshua that you know from Jericho. And new Joshua. One. Yeah, new Joshua. Joshua and Zerubbabel were called two olive trees and two candlesticks. So someone would have known Oh, that's who those two people are. Now, if you remember their story from the book of Zechariah, after the Babylonian captivity, when Persia took over, they sent them back to Jerusalem with these four jobs to gather, to rebuild, to rededicate, and to restore. Zerubbabel was the king and in charge of rebuilding the temple. Joshua was the priest in charge of rebuilding the spirituality of the people. So you see, as all that's going on, God's also involved in another mission, which is a mission of gathering, rebuilding, rededicating, and restoring. And you see that them doing that work. And some of those words seem actually opposite to the words that you see in the chapter before. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so cool that there's this giant contradiction. And he's like, oh no, actually, both of these two things can coexist. Mm-hmm. There can be destruction and there can be rebuilding. There, that's true. He can handle that. Well, it almost seems like that you do because the word restore means involves a really messy process. Yeah, it involves buffing out rust, breaking, taking off the broken pieces, right? And just because those things are happening doesn't mean that these aren't at the same time. And they could be part of. That actually happened. It's a bigger plan. God's intention in the end is complete restoration. And so yeah. everything that he's doing is to that end. If you ever question and wonder, why is God allowing slash or doing this? The answer could be, I don't know how, but in the end, it's complete restoration is, is what's happening. So I think it's just fun when you read this story to know that it's kind of talking about these two people here. As they speak. They also give you the vibe of Elijah and Moses, these two servants in the street, the way that they do miracles, the way that they're raised up like those two were, the way that they speak against the the authorities of the day with such like fair, like Moses did to Pharaoh and Elijah did to Jezebel. 
They give you the vibe of those two. And it's interesting to note that those two come back to the Kirtland Temple in section 110 with the intention of gathering and the intention of sealing, restoration, rededication of the Kirtland. Like the events are just lining right up there that you're left thinking, oh, that's actually really neat. So will there actually be two servants in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half years? Maybe. Will they die and be raised up? Maybe. Or are they types and shadows of the work under the keys of the priesthood today to gather, rebuild, rededicate, and restore? That each of us are given a little book and a part to play in this. And and on, with the backdrop of what may be happening all around, that this holy work is happening and we have a part in it. Could Could that idea of them lying in the streets gave you the sense of you might feel at some days like it's over, like we lost, but remembering that we have, that we worship a God of resurrection power. That's like, it's not over and he won't lose this. So could it be literal? Maybe so. I will not be the decider of that, (laughs) but perhaps we ought not miss what might be figuratively being taught to us and the commission that might be handed to us. And how thrilling, whether it be literal or whether it not, how thrilling that we have a God that gives individual people purposes in his plan. Yes. That's so exciting. So I think in verse, in question three, when you write down some of the things you learned about Zerubbabel and and Joshua, and as you write about, okay, how, where does restoration and gathering play a role? You might also write in there. Do you see what your role is right now in gathering, rebuilding, rededicating, and restoring? Keeping in mind, as you write your answer here, God's work is always people. So don't think so big and think family, neighbor, friend, cousin, what, what, who, you know, whoever that And think be. about your little books. Maybe it's yeah. a mission call. Maybe it's a patriarchal blessing. Maybe it's a blessing that you received once, inspiration from scripture, but how thrilling to find a personal call from God in a work this big. Yeah, so awesome. Okay, you guys. Now don't don't be sad. I'm just seeing okay. We just have to speed <laughs> up. so fast. Okay, we are just gonna like I'm so, we're just gonna speed through this part, which is like Okay. Okay. <laughs> Revelation twelve. Do this, double speed, Dave. Okay, this double, double speed. speed. Put me on double speed. Um, is this story of this woman and a dragon. And it's almost as if you get taken back to the pre-mortal world. There's hints of the pre-mortal world in Revelation 12. Again, showing same battle, same two sides uh, happening in different spots. Um, same same battle, new battlefield, new soldiers, whatever you, you said that was so cool. Yeah. Um, and you watch this little story play out. And let's just read you the story so fast in double speed, you guys, because it's super good. There appeared this great wonder in heaven, this woman clothed with the sun and the moon on her feet and a crown of stars on her head, and she was pregnant. If I were teaching teenagers this chapter, I'm going to, no doubt, okay? Um, She's pregnant, she's travailing, she's in labor, that means, and she's about to be delivered. And then there was this other wonder in heaven, it was a great red dragon, had seven heads. This is by the teenagers on Yeah, and seven crowns upon his heads. Remember, seven, full, ten is is a symbol of um, authority. 
Um, he's everywhere. He's got all this power and influence. And, and one of the heads is over here, but another one's over here. And it's just kind of showing that he's in all the elements of, of the world. If you don't know that's the devil and evil, then you, you're really bad at symbolism. Uh, <laughs> that one was really, really easy for you. Um, this is something we learned in the Revelations, that the child is actually Zion that she's trying to bring forth. The church, She's the church. The woman's the church. She's trying to bring forth Zion. And you remember the book of Moses, chapter 7, teaches Zion is to be of one heart and one mind with no poor among them that we're trying to bring about this Zion, beautiful, unified cause. And the church is laboring to bring that forth. And the dragon and the story wants to eat that. He doesn't want that to happen. And that little baby is taken up and it's, and it's um, up into heaven. It's caught up into God and his throne. And, the, and then the dragon turns to the woman in verse 6. And she <laughs> runs into the wilderness, which is a symbol of apostasy. And, but it says where she has a place prepared of God, that she should wait three and a half years, it says, meaning not forever. She'll be there for just a time. But a place was prepared for her there. Like it, it, it was planned. It was planned that she would be protected, that not everything would be lost, that it would be preserved, that it would be watched over until she can come out again out of that wilderness. His plan was actually big enough for the dragon and baby and the little ones. Yeah, right. Exactly. So she'll just go in and you see this little battle and there's this war that's fought in verse seven. And the thing we really want to focus on here is, is this. And oh, <laughs> I do, uh, hey, you guys, I really want to tell you about this. This is a surprise for both of them. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast, we just flipped to a picture of the Nauvoo Temple because I just want to tell you the symbol that's really cool real fast, right? That um, this woman, remember, goes in. And let's come back to this. We can come back to this, okay? If I don't, y'all just find me on the street, okay? But listen, <laughs> this is the worksheet, and it works for a self-study or for handing out to just kind of fill in some of these things. So you see this battle that's here and the battle that's fought um, all throughout in the pre-mortal world all through the first six seals in, in the time period that we live in right now. Um, there is in the book of Joel, chapter 3, verse 14, he's talking about this valley that is the, the valley of Armageddon. Let's show a picture of it, by the way. It's just a valley in Israel, everybody. It's called Megiddo. Um, Har Megiddo means the hill of Megiddo, which is this. And if you're watching the podcast, I mean, on the YouTube the YouTube. <laughs> okay, Grandpa. <laughs> um, it's just this farm. It's really pleasant. If you go there, you're just like, oh, I want to go pick corn in there or something. It's just like this nice, beautiful field and really calm. Will there actually be a great battle fought there someday with all the nations of the world? I don't know. Maybe so. That, that could totally be an actual thing that happens. But in this figurative book that John is teaching, I just want to let you know that throughout the entire Old Testament, that this valley right here was a valley that where um, the greatest battles were fought. It's, it's in a crossroads, and so it was a really important battlefield. It was a battlefield that said, um, everything hangs in the balance in this battlefield. It's like we're fighting for, for everything in this particular spot because of like where the crossroads of it are. So it's a symbol of the most important battles fought. And I just would like to consider for just a moment together, 
Are we fighting our most important battle right now? Does everything hang in the balance? And if so, are we not spiritually already fighting this battle of Armageddon? A battle for the souls of, of, of men. The things that matter most to us are on the line right now. And in the days of the Old Testament, the things that mattered most were fought for in this valley. And I would just like to consider that perhaps both are, will happen. An actual one, but also what about, what if, what if this is the battle that's being fought right now? For, you know, the battle, remember that, um, uh, that line from David O. McKay, the greatest battles that are fought in this world are in the confines of the human soul. This is where the greatest, most important battles are fought are right inside here. And so that's why we love that Joel calls this valley, the valley of decision. What happened here mattered for the fate of the nation. And what happens matters for the fate of the nation for all of us. And so here in this I want you to just think about the battles that are being fought right now. What's on the line right now? What are you choosing between? What are my choosing What's the decision? between? Right. In this valley of decision. That's what you would mark right in that box. You'll see in, in here, we put the Revelation 12, 10. And then over here, you see the dragon. And then you're going to find the beast, which is another symbol of that dragon. In Revelation 13, seven heads everywhere. He's in politics. He's on Netflix. He's in Hollywood. He's in businesses. He's in schools. He's everywhere. He's Persia. He's Babylon. He's right. He's he's in all of the places. Again and again and again. The everywhere. question is, where do you see evidence of that evil and that um, the dragon and the beast? Which could the world be the you live in? coolest discussion ever. Yeah. Where do you actually see evidence that he is here? Right. And the evidence would be he's called in the in the scriptures Antichrist. Sometimes people are like, is that guy the Antichrist? And they try to do the numbers, you know, or something <laughs> like, oh my gosh, if you take his name, then you divide by 88. <laughs> okay, whatever it makes, 666. But Antichrist is actually that. Anything that's against what Christ stood for. Anything that's against what Christ is trying to do. And so that's what you would, the evidence that you would be looking for. But where do you see evidence of God, his Christ, and his kingdom, of the work of rebuilding, of the work of restoration, of the work of gathering, of, the, of miracles? Where do you see all of that? And that's the, the box that you want to write. Where do you see these happening? And then in this valley of decision, the question is, who will stand? And we want to end by going to these verses right here, Revelation 12, 11, to learn how was the battle won in the pre-mortal world? How was the battle won in the time of John the Revelator? And it's probably going to be the same way the battle was, is going to be won today. And the question isn't who won the battle, it's how was it won. Mm -hmm. The battle's already decided. We actually just get to witness how. And what happens is all of a sudden you go to chapter 12, verse 11, and it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. They actually overcame this. They got to stay standing because someone actually sacrificed their blood for you. The blood of the Lamb is how you could stand through everything. 
Mm-hmm. They're the story through the life. Yeah. The word of testimony. Right. All those beliefs that you have, the thoughts that you have, that's getting you through. Mm-hmm. That's keeping you up. What you actually know, what you believe, what you have actually lived through, your experiences, that's what's keeping you up. And we wrote right here, willing heart. Is your heart the type that is willing to give everything for someone that gave everything to you? Mm. That's what that means, that last line. And they love not their lives unto the death. You actually don't have to love your life. Like, you don't have to, like, love your life so much that you're so afraid to die because someone actually decided that he would die for you. Mm. He already had a willing heart. Are we going to match it? Yeah. And I think this would be awesome to think to yourself and maybe as a discussion, um, how, how am I applying the blood of the lamb into my life right now? Where am I, where am I applying and living out and receiving the atonement of Jesus Christ? Where are my spots for my testimony? Where am I, where am I bearing that witness? What's keeping me up right now? Yeah. That I believe. Yes. Yes. And, and then, do I have a willing heart? What, what are my priorities? Is this my, is this my number one? And that's how they overcame in the past, and it'll be how we overcome today as well. And so our name for Jesus for this week comes from that verse, which is Lamb. We saw him in the throne room, and we see that victory comes from the Lamb. We saw it and as they left the, the Garden of Eden. How do we get back, was the question they asked. And the angel said, it is through the sacrifice of the only begotten that you will make it back. And so that will be a reminder hanging in your house this week that we that these are in order of importance. <laughs> that the blood of the lamb is, is the reason that you are going to be able to stand, you're, that you and I are going to be able to make it back. That, that, and, and, and that we have a part to play in this, that we can take the message of the blood of the Lamb to other people in this world, that they can experience the promises and the privileges of, of priesthood power also, that they can be involved in a rebuilding and gathering work right now in the midst of trumpets and, and bulls, and that's the, that's the good news of, of, um, of what's happening right here. So, okay, you guys. And a partridge and a pear tree. All right. <laughs> we will see you. Oh, next time will be our Christmas lesson. Oh, yeah, that really is a partridge and a pear tree. Yes. Okay. And then, and then we'll have a final lesson of Revelation um, the week after that. Okay. We'll see ya. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.